Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus. Welcome to Digital Jesus, episode 5 of season 1. The Hegelian dialect. A range of propaganda devices used by the West to control, manipulate, neutralize and anesthetize entire populations. Its own and that of other nations. Today we will attempt to provide an understanding of the tactics used to control the masses and the tools they use to get there. Some of the questions we'll be addressing are as follows. What's happening in terms of the information that we're being fed and how are we being fed that information? What areas of control or rather what would the institutions be that roll out this control that is talked of? First of all, the Hegelian dialect is about having two opposites, but they're fed by the same operator. The person, persons above, have devised a two-choice system and you choose either side. But it doesn't matter which side you choose because they're still run by the same controller. They apply to all areas, all main institutions and departments that exist. Media, healthcare, military industrial complex, the government, the legal system, education, and even travel to some extent. Where you can go, the immigration policies, the the idea that there are places that are less oppressive than others. On a on a nation state level. So, the opposites of the same side in a Hegelian dialect. McDonald's, Burger King, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Red Party, Blue Party, Male, Female, Good, Evil, Black, White, Police, Public, Government, Electorate, Bank, Poverty, Life, Death, Sickness, Drugs, Disease, Cure, Food, Famine, Water, Drought, Air, Pollution, Shelter, homelessness, love, hate, information, misinformation, addiction, sobriety, freedom, borders, law, crime, wars, peace, weapon, protection, money, trade, hate speech, free speech, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Hitler, Jew, Israel, Palestine, God, devil, conservative, republican, blonde, brunette, tall, short, educated, uneducated, Truth, lies, virus, vaccine, fear, safety, communism, capitalism, biggie, Tupac, Crips, Bloods, Christian, Muslim, Manu, Liverpool, football, rugby, PC, Apple Mac, iPhone, Android, AC, DC, gay, straight, perfect, odd. So there's just a few that I put together that are opposite that if you think about those, In any context, for just a few moments, you will be aware that they are being fed to you down the media channels that are also responsible for manipulating you into making a choice, but a choice based on the only two options, really, that you're being fed. Whenever I talk about newspapers, be aware that I'm talking about the inception of the propaganda when the Hegelian dialect really 
started to gain traction in terms of the illusion being taken inward. What I mean by that is it becoming an inherent part of our thinking. Because newspapers, back when media was just really about what you read in the newspaper. And why? Because historically, of course, we had the the Gutenberg with the printing press and, and so on and so forth. But when we arrived, perhaps at the 18th, 19th century for sure, 20th century definitely, we'd already had a world where the newspaper empire was being filtered down into a few in terms of ownership that only a few people were becoming media magnates and this is where the word came from right the media magnates it was like magnetic i guess everything that was of any use to these people and building their empire their empire of controlling information they were magnetic uh, and you couldn't escape if you're just a small printing press producing a local paper if it was of any use in terms of the demographic uh, rather hitting that demographic if your newspapers had quite a big circulation then that was you know the magnets wanted that why because they needed to get their message further and farther afield so when i talk about newspapers i'm talking about this the establishment of the newspaper voice and agenda to cause confusion and division not just in the way that we think about life and ourselves when we wake up every morning but also confusion and division in our relationships that includes your friendships your family and other particular areas that could be in the workplace that could be down at your local club, that could be in your sports uh, team amongst your fans, that could be in any groups that you are joined into, and even as far afield as the books you're exposed to and other forms of media in this modern media age that you're exposed to. And let's not forget the government, local councils, institutions such as the police and the legal system, and online, YouTube, Google, Twitter, etc. But let's not forget, the newspaper is the original founding blocks, if you like, the foundation blocks of the modern media. So what we see in this digital version, what comes to a screen in your hand, essentially, at any time of the day and night, whether you're awake, asleep, in bed, or in the bathroom, you can access media, and more importantly, media can access you there is an illusion that the media is here to serve us when in actual fact it's bias and it is controlling our decision making process and it's increasingly leading us to believe that we have an opportunity to engage how we as individuals are now creating content just like i'm doing now you're in receipt of this content because you're listening to it. And what you do with that is an indication of how much uptake there is in what I'm saying. For instance, if you decide to talk to somebody else about what I'm talking to you about now. Of course, this isn't a conversation. This is just me on a mic 
talking into a computer to create a recording of my voice. So you are really uh, a bit part player in this. You're, you're the listener. You don't have any choice. You can speak. You can have an opinion. You can even shout at me into, you know, into wherever, into your gadget, uh, in the hope that that may, you know, give you some relief. And, and if you really are persistent in wanting to challenge anything I say or offer any information or contribute to the to what I'm saying, then you need to be in touch with me, right? There needs to be a dialect. There needs to be a conversation. And then if we look at the media options available to us now, if this was a YouTube clip, then you'd be able to write your comments below. And if I was a diligent, conscientious YouTuber, I may well reply to you in those comments below. Very few do, but some do. And more likely than not, the conversation that comes about is between the people that are actively listening to the podcast or the YouTube clip. So you'll engage in a conversation in those comments. But what will you be talking about? Well, a lot of YouTube comments do, uh, do gravitate from the conversation or the topic that was at hand. But increasingly, when you look at YouTube comments, there can be, you could watch something, for instance, I was researching this podcast and I came across the audio or rather uh, the main points of Mein Kampf by Hitler and and then at the end I went down to the comments and there were comments quite uh, you know making fun or making light of the situation now I don't claim to be a hard-nosed individual who doesn't have a sense of humor I do feel that there is a time and a place but also that it's important to not take ourselves too seriously. So it's okay. Having said that, there are bots that work on the network that have been set up to create a particular angle of discussion or shed a different light or uh, make light of serious situations. And the, the technology and the software around these bots is pretty insanely good really and so in terms of it generating an idea that society is behaving in such a way it's a very powerful tool and people are very absorbent to these messages uh, and they engage but the reality is that I'm firmly believe that half of these probably a greater number of these messages and these comments are not even real certainly they're cooking the books on the likes and etc and so forth so there's a whole reason behind this propaganda tool the point i'm making is that it's very easy to be distracted from the main topic because people get engaged in what their societal what the societal expectations of us are to be conforming to our surroundings so if I was to say to you, I'm disgusted with that and I'd write a note on that YouTube uh, comment and I say, you're disgusting, stick to the subject or bugger off. It's very likely I'll get into an argument with that person or bot as I'm referring to. So there is this illusion that society is speaking to us when actual fact it's not. 
And so from now on, when I refer to society in this context, I'm actually referring to computer programming, software, the agenda that is being delivered and passed down through digital technology, aka social groups, YouTube clips, anywhere where there is an opportunity to install a bot. And of course, there's a growing number of alternatives like BitChute and so on and so forth, where there is the uh, where, where we're given the impression that we're dealing with real people, but we still cannot be sure. And this is what we have to be quite wary of, because computer technology and the infiltration of people's brains who are unaware of the subliminal messaging, the propaganda techniques at play, and also the power of a media empire which has been working on fabricating this alternative reality for hundreds of years certainly since the inception of the collusions revolving around the printing press and ergo every moment in time leading up to here so it's been a trial and error process but it's it's even more powerful now than it's ever been very very dangerous times when i engage with a comment section i am unaware of whether i'm dealing with a bot and so nine times out of ten when i am it's geared up to to put me on the back foot and to make me look like i'm the stupid one or rather i'm the one that's operating from conspiracy theory or i'm mad and and then the bot will ridicule me will shame me will gaslight me and other people who are engaged uh, you know humans will look at that as as an indication of the power of public or opinion or popular choice and the more bots that gang up in that comment section the more it looks like that the person who is the rational thinker is actually the irrational thinker so it's a situation where I am more often than not geared up to lose, right? So it's an argument that I'm not going to win and I'm not going to get my points across. And furthermore, I'm going to be pushed down and not recognized and given likes. And the common truth that I speak about with people in everyday life isn't being represented. And in fact, what this social media digital media does is divert from the main topic divert from the subject a difference of opinion where does that come from well are we born with that well we are certainly born with choice i believe that i believe we're born with the choice to make decisions that may or may not impact our lives and a lot of the time we don't know we just sort of go out there and base it on the resources we have around us the the learning the learning curve that we go on as children through our teenage years up into adulthood we hopefully learn the skills required to make objective rational decisions okay so that subjectivity is also what comes into play subjectivity is for instance if i see a tree and i say to you that tree is beautiful and you might say well it it's, it's lovely but it's not beautiful so everything is subjective and we all have different opinions about what is and what isn't 
giving or providing us with in terms of what is it saying to us what does that tree say to me what a tree is saying to me i'm green and lush and huge and probably old and and the backdrop and the where i live and this enormous and it's just and it's just towering above all the rest and it but also it fits in with the other trees it's beautiful and the other person who's saying well it's lovely meaning it's just a tree so they don't see it as aesthetically perhaps as i do but even that is open to interpretation so subjectivity is a really important key in our decision making processes because it's the platform the base of what we make our decision from it's the foundations of our decision making we have to derive our decision making processes from the learning strategies that we've been taught along the way of our journey through life and well how are we impacted in terms of what are our motivations what are our influences my main concern and it is a concern is the origins of our decision making processes and also how the hegelian dialect is influencing has influenced and will influence those decisions in the future not just because i feel compelled to fit into my society but also because i want to have rational control over my decision making processes and also that there is a healthy very perceptive understanding of what's happening in society and how people are being coerced and essentially brainwashed into making decisions from an irrational perspective i i was born in 1968 for me i was born at the tail end of black and white tv uh, color tv didn't start coming in until the mid 70s but before then i was probably just at the tail end of a radio generation probably people were still tuning into the radio radio programming radio buffs etc but it was pretty much out the window tv had made this glamorous entrance it was pictures and it was voice and it was into beamed into the comfort of your living room and i've spoken to elders of my family and they they remember a time when there was only one person in the neighborhood that had a tv my mum she talked about how she used to go to the ground floor window of a tenement block with all her friends and they used to stand outside and watch through the window it was a popular event nobody missed it and the, the living room and every seat in there would be taken and people all over any available spot on the floor and uh, all facing this tv and of course the people outside clamoring to get a space to be able to see this tv and all being very very quiet imagine a load of kids just out playing and but all standing at this window very very quiet why very very quiet well because the speakers weren't too powerful in those days i guess and, and also people wanted to hear and if you were being disturbed in terms of being heard and you were in that pack standing outside just like my mum did at that window and somebody next to you is whispering or giggling or talking you got a little elbow in the ribs why because you were being told to be quiet be quiet pay attention to the tv in many ways tv became a god and not just a god in the sense that it, there was no other challenger to the title it was above all 
it it gave picture and sound. Nobody could match that. Yes, you'd had black and white movies, and uh, they were they were talking movies, and and so that was happening. But this was different. You had to go to a cinema to see a movie. The TV, you could buy one, own one, and it could sit in your house. And in this uh, scenario I'm talking to you about, many people could access it. And as time went on and TV got cheaper, more and more people could buy them. And there was no need to go and stand around a window in the cold on a cold winter's night and watch somebody else's TV. You could watch TV in the comfort of your own home and even better in colour. But along that way, what happened was the TV became an object of affluence. If you had a TV, it signified that you had a bit of money that you could afford A, to buy one, and B, to run the thing, to have it in your home and to pay the electricity bill to keep this thing on. And although programming was very limited at that time, it was still seen as a way of you, if you owned one, of climbing up the pecking order in terms of desirability. All of a sudden, you were somebody to be taken seriously. You had the key to the new world and everybody wanted to be a part of that new world. And it was hypnotic. And really, it was something that everybody wanted to take part in and they were prepared to pray to the god of TV. The conversations in the playgrounds, around the tea rooms, in the social clubs, at the laundrette, were all around programs that had been seen on TV. And it started to become a subculture. The conversations were being echoed. The conversations taking place on the TV were being echoed and they were starting to travel through the masses. That committed, dedicated, very obedient audience had grown and it had grown into not just an audience that was open to any suggestion but also one that was prepared to absorb whatever was said and go to the lengths of inviting it into the very personal space called home. And soon it became very controlling in the sense that people began to watch their dinner around the TV on their laps. The TV dinner was invented. And I myself remember very clearly being told to shush because my mum and whoever else was there couldn't hear the TV. And communication became second place and it was only during particular shows where families were encouraged to engage with each other that we were allowed to speak quiz shows um yeah things along that nature okay where you could kind of try to call out the answer to the question and be competitive so it was bringing competition into the family as well but it it was isolating family members from each other because the main focus was what was on the TV. Uh, and that was that that became more important than any conversation that was taking place in the room. In fact, conversations that you wanted to have, you had to, you used to have to wait until the commercial break. And, and if it was a commercial that 
the person you were trying to engage with was interested in well then you had to wait until after the commercial even so things were breaking down in terms of communication between members of families and friends that were sitting around the tv the tv was and had became the main focal point of attention and there was scheduling that was targeted around people's daily lives so for instance the most popular shows the most um, widely watched time slots were after work so you know we're talking about a generation that was like a kind of nine to five eight to six kind of generation and come seven o'clock between seven and nine o'clock in fact probably a bit earlier between six and nine o'clock that was peak time this is where peak time comes from because it was the peak of the tv schedule it was the peak of the programming schedule and most of the 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 money and the investment into production went into shows that appeared at this time and most importantly it was the peak in terms of the numbers the audience the amount of people that were going to be around that tv at that particular time dinner time families engaged in the tv being literally managed by the hierarchical system in the family unit to be quiet pay attention because the tv is speaking it was a perfect industrial mobilization of brainwashing and psyops and it was probably not 100% intended for that purpose when it was created but it soon became apparent that there was an opportunity to tap into mass uh, groups of people and to hypnotize people and create an army of people that were able to absorb whatever that message was that was coming down through that tv and it was sandwiched between two main news programs the six o'clock news and the nine o'clock news the six o'clock news was on itv and the bbc at the same time which were the two main channels in the uk and the nine o'clock news was also on both channels so it didn't matter which channel you tuned into you was going to get the news unless you went off into bbc2 and channel 4 eventually came along but by then people were so engrossed with the whole idea that their day was not complete unless they tuned into the news that those two channels were really in competition with the news so the, those two news items if you like those two news programs were the most popular programs in the most popular time slots peak time was the news that's what it was about and the news itself if you break it down it was half an hour long it was 28 minutes of fear death war propaganda and then maybe maybe and that tailed off you'd get a couple of minutes where they have like a good news oh so and so have a look at this pig who's given birth to triplets and they've escaped onto the street and oh how lovely and so they had these kind of like news well they called it news these news items that appealed to your conscience really that i guess what it was was like it 
we had this six o'clock, nine o'clock and everything in between. It was like a fear sandwich or a control sandwich. So they opened you up with fear and they closed you down with fear. But they gave you the impression that it wasn't all fear. So for 28 minutes, it was fear in the news and two minutes, it was good time story and the weather, etc. You'd had 28 minutes of propaganda pumped into your head. Times that by two in a three and a half hour period and that's pretty intense. And the space in between the news segments was all about consumerism, competition, what life you could have if you won this competition. And then they started to introduce the soap opera. And the soap opera was a reflection of what was happening in your daily lives. At least that's how it seemed. But more and more, it was tackling issues that they wanted to bring to the fore. Essentially, they wanted to desensitize you to issues that they were planning on making more of a push on at later dates. Brookside, for instance, dealt with the gay kiss, which had never been done before. And they pushed that out first. Coronation Street was dealing with the strikes and what was happening in the north as a result of those strikes. And EastEnders was dealing with the crime and the the problems that families have living in, in London and surrounded by all of its lesser appealing aspects, but yet part of everyday life. Um, murder and dysfunctional relationships and violence and addictions and alcoholism but then you had coronation street which is like a a lighter hearted gossipy kind of show which encouraged you to believe it was okay to behave like that in your life as well so it was in some ways reflecting what your life looked like but it was also dictating to you what it is apparently meant to look like why because 21 million people tune into a show three times a week. It suggests that they relate to that program. Why? Because it's a mirror of their very own existence. So programming in that six till nine slot was very much targeted towards not only providing with you with an idea of how society looks, but also a driver towards dealing with some of the issues and some of the areas of life that you may or may not be exposed to. So a kind of like a setup, which then of course resonated into the the media headlines and, and then the government narratives ultimately. So they're all kind of dysfunctionally interconnected. Uh, and the more you think about this and look at it and study this yourself, you'll come to the same conclusions. I'm sure of that. And then there were shows that came on what they called After the Watershed, which in the UK was 9pm. Anything that came after the watershed had a bit more risky business in it. Probably in the early days, it was all oh, they kissed, you know, but it was probably not a proper kiss, a screen kiss, but things like that. And subjects which a bit more racy, maybe had alcohol in them and sex scenes and violence around guns and murders and and the ante really got increased as time went on. So on and so forth would have been kept for after the watershed. Why? Because they had a a sort of censorship system. It was decided that 
after nine o'clock, kids would probably be in bed and it's good not to expose kids to these things. And so we'll put on all the risky, racy stuff and all the complicated topics perhaps after the watershed. Why? To protect children. To protect children from growing up too fast, from being exposed to foul language, from being exposed to subjects that weren't deemed ready for them yet and various other reasons, okay? Of course, that's all well and good. Why? Because at least the media has been, to some extent, quite responsible. But let's not forget that in the average house, there was probably sex and violence and addictions to alcohol and prescription drugs and and crime and, and, and children were being exposed to that at home anyway. So I'm not saying everyone, but it exists and I'm pretty sure that there would have been a lot of children in society just as there is today being exposed to such sin as we'll call it for the purpose of this podcast it seemed like tv had some form of yardstick for deciding what to expose our young with and of course today we know about the bbc scandal of paedophilia that has been rife throughout the bbc and there was a massive cover-up and you can guarantee that at the time tv and newspapers were very much entwined they knew what was going on in each other's worlds why weren't the newspapers holding the tv channels accountable and using the information at hand that they had and these accusations around said people in those channels jimmy sabble is a classic example so where were they at in their head today I know personally of high up execs that were aware of what was happening, but I'm moving forward too quickly. Let's stick on this timeline where we're in the 70s and the 80s. You know, I've grown up around TV. I've been in a house where TVs have become more and more available, cheaper. And they're not just in the living room. They're now in, uh, there's one in the kitchen. And also they've made their way into the bedrooms as well. So I remember having a little black and white TV in my bedroom in the late 70s. And I remember it was a, there was a big sort of a big fuss about the idea of having a TV in our room. And it was rejected for a while. But sooner or later, my mum gave in and we ended up uh, having TVs in each room. And you'll often hear me talk about my mum because my mum was a dominant force in my house and, and that's a whole other story. But she was certainly the decision maker. However, having said that, she may well have been inadvertently exposed to the plan which was to divide the family unit, separate the family unit by giving them this option to drop out and choose their own choice of programming and in and in some cases you would have been we would have been in a situation where we may have been watching our tvs in our separate rooms and actually even watching the same program so we became uh disconnected in terms of communication so already the agenda to separate the family unit had begun and tv is arguably responsible for the inception of that too so that's where we're at in the late 70s early 80s well but alongside this whole growth of tv the newspapers were still a dominant force now the newspaper had no censoring they, they could print what they wanted life death wars hate religion whatever they wanted advertisements commercials 
the stories of the day and it was mainly around fear and just like it is today. So the difference is, unlike today in 2021, newspapers, until the advent of the internet, were huge. It was a daily purchase. In my understanding and my experience of growing up was there were three things you bought every day. It was a newspaper, a pint of milk and a loaf of bread. That was a daily consumption of more or less every household that I knew. So we're talking about mass saturation. And and that paper, when it hit that stand and it was purchased by whoever purchased it, it wasn't just read by that person. It was read by anyone who came into contact with it. It was the go-to place to spend a couple of minutes in a waiting room, spend a few minutes while you're waiting for your favourite TV programme to come on, to read while you're uh, eating your breakfast, to read while you're eating your dinner, to read while you're having your lunch, to read in your tea breaks, to read if you're on a journey on a train, to read if you're a passenger in a car. You get where I'm going. It was any available opportunity or spare time you had, you would have picked up a newspaper if it was available and you would have read it. Whether you were an adult or a child, as long as you could read and there was a newspaper handy, whatever you were into, you would flip through that. Sometimes it may have just been just to look at the pictures, but one would have been drawn into the text and ultimately the more time we had, we would have ended up reading it. And if we, the more time we had on our hands, the more in-depth we would read that newspaper. But certainly the pictures were a main driver for a lot of people and the sport for some at the back. But people would always end up working their way back through the paper to the front pages, which were, of course, becoming more and more uh, filled up with fear and hate and death and wars. Uh, Yeah, just a general picture of a world that's unsafe. That is a pretty powerful tool. And at some point, It was very clearly understood that the newspaper was a powerful way to inseminate and indoctrinate people by rolling out a narrative. And that narrative, that's a massive subject. But we're just looking at newspaper and the part it plays in carrying out that task. The task of brainwashing people, essentially. Now, where better to expose people to the Hegelian dialect? than in a newspaper. The perfect location to create two opposites and to give you the impression that you have a choice in which direction you go in terms of those two options available to you. Now, if you look around the the media around you today, even in the so-called free speech areas, which are the YouTubes and the Twitter, etc., well, they're not free speech, are they? Because if they can kick a president off and you just for what you say even when what you're saying is just repeating verbatim what a media uh, outlet has said you can still be kicked off there's no free speech about that free speech is me being able to say what i like and you not agreeing with it and we still get on okay it's like accepting people for our differences that's fine but the newspapers and the media and the growing social networks are telling you no you don't get to do that The media is saying we are the controllers of what is deemed to be acceptable in society in terms of speech, in terms of your voice. And you get to play along as long as you are obedient and subservient 
to the rules and the regulations and the parameters of that Hegelian dialect has to, by its very nature, limit you to two choices. It has to limit you to a select number of outcomes because then it can guide you down each pathway. Why? Because each pathway has a plan. It's the problem-reaction-solution plan. Let's take McDonald's and Burger King off the top of the list that I read out earlier. What's so great about McDonald's? The big M, the, the styling, the fact that your parents didn't want you to eat when you were younger. It's like you, you like the Big Mac, but then the burgers are better at Burger King or wherever it is, right? So there have been other burger companies. They have. Wendy's and you know it's, it's, there have been others but even now when I'm trying to re- remember what they are they don't strike as me- uh, a stronger memory or a recall of my memory as McDonald's and Burger King why because McDonald's and Burger King are pumped down the media channels the advertisements come through the TV through the newspapers the advertisements come through the packaging and the advertisements come through people talking about it Oh, let's go to McDonald's. Oh, let's go to Burger King. The burgers are better at Burger King. Real flame grilled, etc. So as we get to know the catchphrases, we get to know the parts of language that we feel comfortable with because others accept us or don't for that. When we're talking about the Hegelian dialect, we're given two opposites because they are essentially providing us with the same outcome. The data that is gathered by knowing that enough people are buying into a product, we're being led to believe that it's bad for us. We're being told it's bad for us by splinter groups that have decided McDonald's is bad for us. Uh, The potatoes aren't real. The milk in the milkshake isn't real. The beef that they produce is full of hormones and drugs to fatten it up for the the kill. Uh, It's put farmers out of business because... They have basically decided the price they want to pay. And if you can't meet that price, well, bugger off. So farmers have had to essentially uh, disappear in favour of those that are large enough to absorb the loss. And so it's killed off the farming industry. But then McDonald's will come back and say, no, we, we promote the farming industry. We, we, you know, if it wasn't for us selling cows, then you wouldn't have, you know, farmers developing uh, breeding cows to sell to us. So we're, we're feeding families, you know. So they, they give you the angle of the story that fits your conscience. And that continues to allow you to buy into it. And then, of course, we have the other side comes back. And says, no, because you're destroying farmers. But who wants to hear that? And who's going to get to hear that? Because the media is not going to push that narrative. The media is not going to run with that narrative. Why? Because the media is full of what they call prostitutes. They are whores to corporations. They're not going to turn down the, the ad revenue. The, the TV companies, the newspapers... The channels are not going to turn down the ad revenue from McDonald's. And likewise, they're not going to turn it down from Burger King. But they're going to decide where they want you. Why? Perhaps they are drugging us. Perhaps they are. And there's an argument for that. And of course, the more people that are signed to it, the easier it is for them to administer their drugs under the bonnet. And the the media is protecting it. 
So the Hagate and another. Let's talk about one other actually. It's only fair. Let's not think on McDonald's and Burger King. Let's talk about the left-right paradigm of politics. At any one time when there is a so-called election, there are tens, maybe hundreds of options in terms of candidates and then there will be tens of political parties that you can vote for. But really, when you look at it, it's narrowed down to two main drivers. Well, it was three recently because they wanted to give you the option that there was a third choice. But just like, um, you know, when you're going out on a date, three is uh, a crowd, right? Two's company. So there's a left and a right. There's a red party and a blue party. You have increasingly be given the belief system or rather you've been led to believe that you are getting a choice that the two are going to treat you differently give you a different outcome but they all do the same thing they all come down into the masses they figure out what public opinion is they take that they say to you that they're going to give you that i don't know let's call it climate change right they say oh we're going to take care of climate change why? Because the newspapers have been selling the idea of climate change. And when I'm saying newspapers, I'm referring to all the media, everything, everything online. It still exists, right? The news channels, it's all, just, it's all run by the same media empire. It came from newspapers, newspaper conglomerates and TV channel owners, right? TV moguls like Ted Turner, etc. They're still running it all. Just because it's digital and it's online, it doesn't mean it's not still run by those people that ran the newspapers. Okay, let's get that clear. They decide that they want to start... Let's create a, a scenario. They want to charge us for using oxygen, air, for entering the space of air, for leaving our house and going out into clean air. So they set us up with some sort of chip system that tells them when we leave the house. And of course, and then we get billed per minute, per hour cycle, or we sign up to a contract, which allows us unlimited access to the outside for X amount of pounds or dollars every month, just like a phone contract, right? So we sign up a subscription to enter clean air, whatever that is. Okay, so there's the scenario. That's where... They want us in the future. Well, how do they get us to believe that we need to pay for something that's free? Well, they start pumping narratives down the media channels and newspaper channels about pollution. Oh, the air's getting polluted. We, we can't control it. It's out of control. Uh, there's too many people using too many machines and also that they are causing the problems with their CFCs and the carbon monoxide that they're emitting through with their lifestyle. Imagine some of that has already been sold to people through the media channels. People literally do believe that there is a, a, a hole in the ozone layer in Australia, above Australia, that the sun is more damaging because of the ozone layer. That's what uh, that's what is being told okay that's what that's what has been sold and then you've got these so-called left-right parties that are starting to tell you oh it's a big problem and then of course the media are selling the story they're telling you oh then the government are looking at this because it's a big problem why are the government looking at it's a big problem because another part of the left-right paradigm is the non-for-profits 
So you have people like Oxfam that say they're raising money for people in uh, third world countries. So bring your clothes in, bring your stuff here. We'll sell it. We'll pay our executives top dollar to keep the business running. And anything that's left over, you know, because you don't have to pay the volunteers, we'll pay the rent and we'll get reduced rent anyway. And we'll get tax breaks as well for opening up shops on the high street. So after all that's said and done, whatever's left, we'll ship off to a third world country. But we'll have to go through proper channels. We'll go through their nation state government policies and we'll seek permission. We'll pay the licenses. We'll access the country. Uh, they'll be able to take money from one nation state into another. We'll pay taxes on the way in. And then whatever's left, we'll set up institutions there, not forgetting people who are in pay positions to run those institutions. We'll pay their wages and then we'll pay all their fees, etc., for rolling out, uh, getting volunteers and distributing, say, a bag of rice. And we'll do all of that. And once all of that's been covered, then whatever's left, we'll buy rice with, and that'll be what's distributed. So you can imagine it's not very much, right? It's a big scam. Uh, um, unfortunately, I wish it wasn't. I wish that it was contributing to our issues as a global population in terms of famine, and third world in uh, inefficiencies and um, inferior existence. Inferior in terms of the wants and the needs of people are not being met. Or are they? Is this an illusion? We don't know. Because we're just getting sold this on the media channels. If ever you've been to a third world country, you'll notice that they're one of the most happiest groups of people on the planet. Yeah, they don't have very much, but they have community they look after each other. They'll share what little bit of rice they have. I know. I've discovered this. I've been to third world countries. And they will do the same with organisations such as Greenpeace and Save the Planet, Save the Whales. And it's all about tapping your conscience. So probably, at a guess, there'll be some sort of back-end funding that goes into these non-for-profits to mainly gain some control. But... There's a, a top-down agenda to install CEOs uh, in high-up positions of power in companies such as these companies we're referring to so that they can roll out their agenda from the inside. But really, it's about tapping into public opinion and giving the public the impression that they are somehow fighting these causes. But ultimately, it's a controlled opposition. And this is what the Hegelian dialect is about. It's about having two sides that seemingly are on opposite sides of the spectrum, but they're actually controlled by the same force which exists above those two opposites. And this is the problem that we are facing, is that when you think that you're actually conscientiously objecting to something or investing in something by literally giving them money and time you're actually contributing to the problem and the problem is that they're creating division but they're getting you to sign up for it and to create the division for them coming back to this left right paradigm so they say oh the the these non-for-profit organizations such as those ones that have been set up to tell you that climate change is a problem oh they're telling us that it's a problem so we're going to believe it. But where are those non-for-profit climate change organisations getting their information from? 
Well, they're getting them from scientific bodies, aren't they? Scientific bodies that have been set up to provide apparently legitimate, qualified information through tests, through through carrying out scientific experiments, okay? But who runs those? If you look at who runs most of the world's major research companies, you'll find that it takes a lot of money to set those up. That's the illusion we're given anyway. Well, certainly when they've got all this sort of million, two million, three million dollar machines going in, you know, five, six at a time into one unit. Well, that does cost money if that is what they need it for. And that's what it's doing. Then it's going to cost money. But people have to put money up for that. Well, it's not you and me. It might be the taxpayer, but it's usually benefactors those that have made big money and who makes the big money well it's not going to be newspapers and media outlets is it well of course it is and uh, these people the, the bill gates of the world etc the big money people the rockefellers the rothschilds they're the ones that put the money up for these big organizations the wellness foundation you know the glaxo smith clients it comes from old money all of that is old money, powerful money, powerful old money that wants to keep hold of its money and generate more power. Because money, there comes a point when money is no good to you. There's only so many beds you can sleep in, so many houses you can own, so much travel you can do before it just becomes boring. It becomes about power, control, more space, less of less to you. It becomes like a power struggle. It's not much of a struggle for those that have. It's the struggle for those that don't have. These very same people that run these media outlets run these massive institutions that run these big pharmaceutical companies from behind the scenes. It's their investment. And they can say, oh no, we we put it on the stock exchange, uh, on the public market, and we, we opened it up to people to invest and to buy shares in it. That may well be the case. But in the first instance, these things were created who created them and what happened when they did publicly float those companies those ones that they did where does that money flow back to well it flows back into the dividends of those that bought in in the first place and also the multi-layered companies that are all invested in the same project ergo those that were manufacturing the machines the back room deals that are done these things are not just set up so that an isolated industry can make a profit or accumulate power they are all invested as a group and this happens in the higher echelons of these groups some say the cabal some say the erev rav and there are various different institutions out there so it's a massive scam it's like a way uh, it's like another tax really it's a way of asset stripping but the general premise of it is that the more money you have, the more money and freedom you get. The less money you have, the less freedom and opportunity you have. And that's it. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what climate you go into. That's how it is. And it's incestuous. And they're all interbreeding these families high up in this uh, program that they're using to roll out power and terror on us. And they give you the impression that you can somehow climb up into it, that you can break through that glass ceiling. But I'm here to tell you, trust me, from first-hand experience, from someone who's been offered that leg up into and through that glass ceiling, is you have to give up your soul. You have to sell your soul to the devil. And that's how you see these 
people that just rise to fame from nowhere and it happens overnight and they tell you they will tell you openly that they have sold their soul to the devil you've only got to do the groundwork you'll see going back to this climate change scenario the non-profit organizations have said yes the scientific data says that there's a problem with the ozone layer the newspapers and the media outlets are printing that the politicians because we're talking about the left right uh, paradigm right of the political sphere the politicians gather all of that and they know that you've already been exposed to it through the media channels and in the conversations around the pub and you've got uh, stickers on your car you know on your bumper saying you know save the planet and stuff like that and that data has been collated and so they know public opinion has bought into into this narrative the politicians start to push it they tell you they're going to deal with climate change uh, vote for us so of course all those people that have been brainwashed and fallen asleep and bought into it start buying into that and they start switching perhaps political party because they feel very strongly about climate change essentially it's the same side so they maybe have decided they want you to switch party because they have some other agenda that they need to fulfill and they don't want to make it seem as if the party that you vote for is letting them down so they switch it to the other party because they're constantly going backwards and forwards and giving you illusion that you have the choice okay this is what it all comes back down to the very essence of an individual has been groomed over the history of a lifetime certainly to the voting age in this day and age children are exposed to anything any time of the day or night children can watch porn as young as five they know how to operate an ipad or a phone they can access porn they can access crime you can watch people being decapitated you can watch them being electrocuted and killed instantly right there you can watch crashes serial killers you know you can read and learn about anything you want any age any time so that's where we're at now all the movies you know i mean you've only got to look at a marvel movie now apparently aimed at kids but you go and watch one they're pretty horrific stuff and it's all about characters that you know they uh like take any any of the characters arnie schwarzenegger movies the terminator it's a robot that comes from or is he a robot you know he, he's a robot that comes from another planet and the world's in danger and so Arnie's got to go around and kill hundreds of people and thousands of people to save the world it's like oh it's all right as long as you're you know doing good you can uh, save the world then you can kill who you want there's no problem there that's all right so the moral sort of ethical grounding that is provided through these institutions is is rotten to the core right it's rotten to the core so the left-right paradigm is now empowered with all of this information. Um, not just the information that it created through its channels of scientific research, but also it's got the people all in line with the thinking and now the people are going to the ballot box and they're going to vote for climate change. So that party gets in and of course they don't do anything about that. The whole purpose of getting in was to develop a way of making you believe that there's some way you could create a change that you had an option an alternative uh, option and it's about just getting you to stay within the two-party paradigm because 
you have it. You had it with Obama. He promised all of these things pre-election. He got in. He never did anything. In fact, he took away more freedoms of the American people than any other sitting president, I would argue. And, and of course, but they sold him on the back of being a black president. Now, for me, I don't care what colour you are. And when I say that, I mean, it's not that I don't care about you. It's mean I don't have a preference. Whatever colour you are suits me fine, as long as you do a job that is representative of the people, of, of what is good, you know? What is good in terms of, we know what's good, we know what's good, because we know deep in our soul, in our stomach, in our gut, what is good. And if someone is not doing right by us, we know that. And what's happened is that we are living amongst a culture that is a sleeping sheep, and they've all fallen prey to these tactics, and they are literally walking around and crying out for how they can be of service to their master. And their master is the media machine, the government, all the systems in place, the systems of the systems, which I've talked about in earlier podcasts. So if you are one of these people that is buying into the narrative, sitting down watching the news and taking it seriously, even though the hypocrisy of what these so-called politicians are saying is just outrageous and does make no sense at all, then you are culpable. You are to blame. You are part of the problem. Make no mistake, this is a war. And you acquiescing, to all of these draconian measures have chosen a side and it's a side against the common sense against the people of this planet that want to be respected and treated as if the government serves us and not the other way around we do not serve the government the government represents the people and the government going around making decisions about the future of us and our bodies as if we don't count is stopping. It's the end of the line. We're not accepting this. And how are we going to go about letting you know? Well, first of all, you that are asleep and are the sheep are going to be held accountable. That's right, because we're going to call you out. And secondly, those in positions of so-called power are going to be removed. And this doesn't mean that we're going to put new people in in place of you to just carry out the same atrocities. No, there is going to be a referendum. People will decide, will decide. And if I had my way, it would be based on basic needs as a birthright. That's it. Let's just do that. Let's just feed everybody, give each other homes to live in, Let's all contribute to making each other's lives more fair. Fair. Let's give everybody the same opportunity at life. Okay? Let's give people basic needs. That's what I want. What do you want? Let's open up the discussion. Let's stop rolling over and taking it in wherever from these so-called people that are supposed to represent us. This includes the police force. What are they doing? What are they doing? Now, of course... This is all going to be very subversive, isn't it? Because anyone that listens to this that is in the narrative and driving forward the narrative is going to say, oh, he's a terrorist because he's speaking out against us, the government. We're the government. He's not allowed to say that. What? You're not the government. Let's get this clear. 
you lost your position as the government when you started to roll out draconian measures backing corporations, cabals, Erevravs, whoever it is up in these Bilderberg groups and these multinational companies and corporations and families, you made a decision to join those. So as far as I'm concerned, you're part of that problem and you got to go just like they've got to go. This is a spiritual war. You've placed us under attack. We're declaring war. You did. You called it and we're telling you, let's have it. We're going to have it. We're ready. And just because you think there's not enough of us because you think you're blinding everyone with your stupid propaganda that you're rolling out through your media channels, well, I'm here to tell you, you've been served. We're not doing it anymore. And in the words of Shakespeare, you've been rumbled, mate. The game is up. I've been King David. This is Digital Jesus. I'll see you on the other side. Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus. Digital Jesus.